Кадры, которые мы получили только что, Владимир Путин Нас по видеосвязи. не слушал. Послушайте сейчас. Сегодня вступает Привет, в силу это Навальный. В Я уже делаю свою работу. А сотрудники безопасности... Гоном вас. С новым веком. Before Russia's invasion of Ukraine, before its armed intervention in the Donbass, before its annexation of Crimea, and before its invasion of Georgia, there was another act of Russian aggression. The bronze soldier riots and cyber attacks against Estonia. 15 years ago this week, Russia launched a coordinated and multi-pronged assault on Estonia that included a manufactured riot in the center of Tallinn, a blockade of the Estonian embassy in Moscow, and a massive cyber attack against the websites of Estonian banks, media organizations, corporations, and government ministries. Few realized it at the time, but the bronze soldier riots were a harbinger and a dress rehearsal for future Russian aggression against its neighbors and against the West. Today, we'll speak with somebody who saw it all from a unique vantage point and immediately understood its implications that are with us to this day. So stick around. Hello from my makeshift home studio in Washington, D.C.'s funky Adams Morgan neighborhood, and welcome to the Power Vertical Podcast, which is produced by the University of Texas Arlington's McDowell Center for Global Studies in partnership with the Atlantic Council. I'm your host. My name is Brian Whitmore. I'm an assistant professor of practice at the UK McDowell Center and a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center. And joining me from Munich is Thomas Hendrik Ilvis, who served as president of Estonia for two terms from 2006 to 2016. He also served as Estonian foreign minister, ambassador to the United States, and as a member of the Estonian and European parliaments. These days, Thomas is a visiting professor at Tartu University and serves as a member of the Munich Security Conference's advisory board. Welcome back to The Vertical Time. Great to be here. Great to have you, as always. And so I assume that listeners of the Power Vertical podcast are somewhat familiar with the broad outlines of the bronze soldier riots and cyber attacks. But just in case, here's a quick recap. In April 2007, authorities in Estonia decided to move a Soviet-era monument, which many in Estonia viewed as a symbol of Soviet occupation and oppression from a prominent location in the center of Tallinn. This was followed by two nights of rioting in central Tallinn by Russian protesters, some of whom were local, but many of whom were bussed in from Russia. Subsequently, a massive cyber attack was launched against Estonian banks, business, and government websites. In Moscow, demonstrators also blockaded the Estonian embassy. Tom, you were president when this was all going down and had a unique vantage point. To get us started, please walk us through these events as you experienced them at that time. Well, on the, the 26th, I was actually in Moscow. Uh-huh. I was at Boris Yeltsin's funeral, which took place that day, and then uh, and then I flew back to Tallinn. In front of the em the embassy was blocked. Yeah, right. You were right. And then you had Nashi in the front with um, mm -hmm. they're yelling, screaming with, and then they had my name, uh, Thomas uh, Ilves, and the S was then turned into an SS. Mm -hmm. So it was Thomas S. S. and Ilves S. S. And they were in front, but of course, the Vienna diplomatic protocol or sort of convention sort of requires that the uh, the host country keep uh, keep people at the embassy safe. 
So, but anyway, that was going on. It was very loud right in front of the embassy. But then, I mean, that was, you know, this is just, it lasted a short time because I came from the funeral and the wake and then I was in the embassy and then I went to the airport and we flew back. And I didn't really know anything that when I arrived mm -hmm. in Tallinn around 6 p.m. And then I went to my office and then around um, 8 o'clock someone called me up and said, Turn on the TV. I said, well, I don't watch. I don't watch TV. So, uh, and so I did. And then there were all these scenes of uh, riots uh, and pretty serious riots and looting and smashing of windows and and so on. And uh, this got. This was the uh, first time we'd ever had sort of rioting in Estonia. I mean, ever. We never had rioting. Right. We're kind of quiet, laid-back people. But what it was tied to was this Soviet-era statue, which the government, in fact, I mean, had been promising to move. Um, and of course, there were all kinds of Russian sort of uh, active measures involved in this. Uh, the reason that the government wanted to move it was that every year on the 9th of May, it was a focal point of sort of... Soviet nostalgia, drunken people waving Soviet flags. Um, it's kind of like, um, you would know, I don't know how many mm. listeners know, but it's kind of like the uh, Desantniki day. Right. When uh, basically all these people with striped blue shirts who are in the elite forces just get really drunk and pummel each other. And these are local uh, Russian, uh, Estonian Russian, uh, ethnic Russians, like that are that are local, or are they coming in from the Russian Federation? Well, they were. I mean, there were some who'd come in, but basically they were local. I mean, uh, I mean, it's the same kind of nostalgia you see even today, and mm -hmm. um, you know, in a number of countries. I mean, Germany with uh, people uh, supporting Putin in these mm -hmm. big demonstrations. The same kind of mentality. And because the riots got to be, uh, were beginning to sort of get out of control, I mean, there were many thousand people there, that the government said, okay, I mean, they hadn't made a final decision on moving the statue, but then they did it. Mm. And the idea of moving the statue was that, I mean, if, from a place that was in the center of town and sort of an obvious place for people to congregate, they said, we're going to move the statue to a military cemetery, which has, I mean, it's a military cemetery. It has Estonians. It has Brits. It has, I mean, who died fighting in Estonia. It has Germans. It has Russians. I mean, the idea, of course, in a military cemetery is that you're, you're no longer, uh, I mean, the war, the fight is over. You're dead, so you're not going to be killing each other when you're already right. dead and buried. So that was the idea. Uh, but anyway, so that what ensued was a riot, and um, it was interesting. The only, the only uh, on the main street where this was taking place, the only window, the only store that uh, did not have its plate glass windows smashed in was the bookstore. Ah, <laughs> uh, interesting. Yeah, I remember the scenes of the looting going on. I was at Radio Free Europe at the time covering this. Right. And there were, I mean, liquor stores, forget it. They were empty yeah. completely. And even the organizers of the, there were several organizers and they were, I mean, they're even 
sort of uh, videos of them walking with looted cases of beer. So they sort of, <laughs> but it got pretty touch and go there. And um, I mean, the police uh, were retreating and it was getting fairly violent. And well, finally it sort of died down. And then the next night there were sort of smatterings. Um, there have been also riots in, um, in other towns in Northeast Estonia. Mm -hmm. those, were, those were not. Not about Yuffie's one little town. I mean, that was where they had some problems, but it wasn't big. It was, but it does that does indicate a certain degree of coordination. And afterwards, uh, the uh, the equivalent of the Estonian FBI also published pictures of the organizers of the riot meeting in the botanical gardens with uh, basically well. GRU people from the embassy, so it was quite clear it had been orchestrated. So you very quickly understood that this was something that it was orchestrated by Moscow. Yes, well, we thought all along it was. I mean, I had been told because I had not seen pictures of the um, pictures of it. Now later on, I mean, they released photographs of uh, sort of uh, people from the embassy meeting before the riot with. Uh, with um, organizers, so anyway, so that that happened, and then that la I mean, two nights, and then it died down. Uh, but what then happened was, that, well, first of all, my security people said, "Okay, you got to get out of here. We're going to take you to your farmhouse because uh, if you've been in Estonia, you'll know that the resident or the where the president mm -hmm. sort of." Not a palace, it's, but it's it's a pink building, but it's an, mm -hmm. it was an office building. Uh, it it doesn't have anything around. It has no security. Yeah, it's remarkably open <laughs> I mean, for, you, for, you for a presidential residence. Right up, you can just walk out right up to yep. the door. I mean, yep. it's, uh, I have. <laughs> and so uh, they said this place is not secure, and there had been sort of uh, chatter picked up by the security police that they, okay, now we're going to go get the president. And and so they said, we're going to take you out of here. So they took me to the farm. And then the next morning I get up, which was, I guess, the 28th, right, today. Mm -hmm. And I go to the internet. I go, not getting anything. Hmm. And then um, I go to another website, no news. I mean, I can't get any of the newspapers. Um, and, and basically what I, so I then sort of did what was funny was I could get the financial times and the New York times, but I couldn't get any Estonian sites. Uh -huh. So, so I called my IT guy and he said, uh, doesn't look good. It looks like, uh, we're, everything is under attack, which it was massively. And, uh, now to take, uh, to understand what they did, it was it is called a DDoS attack, and DDoS stands for a distributed denial of service attack, which differs from a hack in that you do not you do not get into anything, you just simply shut down servers you, by overloading them. Mm -hmm. So there you get instead of 
you know, say you're a bank, which has happened to banks. I mean, getting 10, 15 queries, um, you know, a second or whatever you get, you're getting thousands. And what happens is that when the server is overloaded with queries, it shuts down. And that's what happened, basically. The server was shut. The servers were shut down. And clearly the most, um, the most, vol uh, well, the, the most dangerous one was the shutting down of the um, of the banks because that really, basically, that was the most essential service. Though they did attack other things too. Government websites too. Government websites, but I mean, what's interesting is that they are government services were never affected because that's well, that's what we're famous for: our extremely mm -hmm. robust system, which you can only access with your. ID, your ID, your right? Chip card ID. That's that's. I mean, that was one of the things that we learned from this. Is that really, if you have a very secure system, uh, then these kinds of attacks don't are not a problem. And I mean, the I mean, the UN rates Estonia as the most cyber secure country in Europe and number three in the world. So we're not doing too badly. No, no, not at all. And you've and they've done considerably uh, a lot to improve cybersecurity. Yeah, well, we've done a lot more. I mean, just to just to take a fly, to flash forward, we are currently undergoing a, kind of an anniversary event where we are also being subjected to massive DDoS attacks, but it's having no effect. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's having because I mean we've developed it. I mean since that time we've developed considerably. Now to get back to how a DDoS attack works, it's at least at the time the way they worked was that I mean in order to get these massive numbers of of queries or pings, you need to have lots of um, lots of sources. You know, at the time, what they were using were things called botnets, and these mm -hmm. are networks of bots. And bots are uh, hijacked computers that, when they're not in use, they're sending out information that are that is controlled by someone else. And uh, at the time, they they estimated that twenty five percent of all computers in the world. Had been uh, had sort of uh, had a bot a bot in it because they downloaded and the most common way of downloading a bot is by visiting a free porn site. So if you visit a free porn site, you will uh, odds are very high, or at least were at the time that you will get mm. you will download malware, which will then take over your computer when you yourself are not using it. Now, when you put have all these computers that have bots in them, you you can put them together and you get a botnet which can be controlled. Generally, these back then there were these things were controlled by uh, criminal gangs who um, basically were involved in sending out spam. Spam shoots out stuff in all I mean in mm -hmm. all directions. And so, you know, all these Viagra ads that used to be, um, used to plague uh, everyone's uh, email box. Uh, but then, uh, I mean, that's changed since then because now they've started using IoT devices, closed circuit televisions, which are even more powerful and that you can 
if you hack, uh, uh, say, uh, London has half a million closed circuit televisions. If you manage to get them to work for you for a botnet, well, then you uh, then you then you get a lot more and quite powerful because they are all hooked uh, into the internet mm-hmm. now. So I mean, this is tough fall, but basically, what you had is. Um, these, these criminal gangs, they just reprogram the spam, which shoots in all directions, and then they concentrate these attacks on sites that you want to choose. And so they, that's what they did, and that's how they overloaded our circuits. Did you, did you immediately know that this was coming from Moscow, or how, how, soon, how, how quickly did you, did you discern that this was, this was direct from Moscow? Well, we're like David Hume, the philosopher, that uh, two events happen in close proximity. Right. <laughs> well, we were all assuming it, but I'm, I'm assuming as president of Estonia, you had a lot better intelligence than I did sitting well, in the RV newsroom in Prague. We, I mean, we. It, it's hard to tell because there, I mean, you have the bots are spread all over, uh, all over the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, the bots that people have downloaded into their computers. I mean, the fact that uh, Sergei Markov was bragging about it also kind right. of gave us a clue. Right. Um, now, first of all, the reason why this attack stands out uh, is that it is the first time you had a state-on-state attack mm-hmm. That was that was publicly known. I mean, we, hacking and even DDoS attacks had happened before, but it was never a state-on-state attack right. that was publicly known. So, you, I mean, the sort of first first famous hack was Moonlight Mile when the Russians hacked into uh, the DOD or the U.S. Department of Defense, but they didn't. I mean, no one was bragging about that. That right. was found out later. But this was absolutely public, so I so I call it the first case of genuine cyber war, because according to von Clausewitz, war is the continuation of policy by other means. Exactly. And this was the first time that the other means included cyber. Before mm-hmm. that, I mean, you had all kinds of stuff, and you could say even the whole Bronx soldier. Episode the sort of the that you know sort of orchestrated by Moscow was a it was a continuation of policy by other means but it was not a it was not cyber the cyber happened afterwards and the the attacks they went up and down over the days it got quite critical for a while and we had to actually I mean the first step was that since most of them were I mean almost all were coming from outside the country. We isolated ourselves. So, um, so if a if any queries came from outside the upper domain that we have, which is EE for Estonia, I mean just like mm-hmm. well, like .com and .org, right. um, gov. I mean, the .ee is called an upper is a, right. a upper level domain. And if it didn't come from Estonia, you couldn't get in. Mm-hmm. So that really, that was the first step we took that really sort of got us back up. But meanwhile, they had also really taken, they had damaged the banks. So we had to basically, at one time, we 
3am shut down the entire system to reboot the banks, which was an interesting thing. I mean, just shut everything down. But right. you had to, but if you, your banks don't work, you know, your everything's nothing uh, worked. Yeah, yeah. That's now. This I also saw this. It was your it was the first known state-on-state state cyber attack at that time. It was also, and this didn't become apparent until later, but the first act of hybrid warfare by Russia against a neighbor, and it was a playbook that was repeated. Um, in Georgia in 2008, in Ukraine in 2014, um, and then of course uh, it, to a to a degree in in Ukraine uh, this year. Did you did you at the time perceive that this uh, this rubricon had been crossed? Um, that a very important rubricon had been crossed at that at that time. And what kind of discussions did you have with the Allies at the time? I mean, did uh, well, first of all, yes. I mean, since no one had ever used uh, cyber to take down a country, mm -hmm. it was quite clear what it was. Uh, I mean, that this was a serious and a new departure and that this is something um, no one had ever seen before. I mean, as I mentioned, DDoS attacks had been used against, well, used as an, a, a mode of extortion. I mean, mm -hmm. they, would, uh, they would use a DDoS attack against some web company and then they it's kind of like ransomware, but they, mm -hmm. I mean, now, but you say, okay, you're under DDoS, you're what you you depend on your website to sell whatever you're selling, and we're going to, uh, unless you pay us money, we will continue doing this. And they also did it for political purpose. I understand they fried Gary Gasparov's server mm -hmm. before they did us, but this was against the country, right. Um, now, the reaction wasn't uh, what we'd hoped, because we went to NATO, we are NATO members, and they uh, they said, uh, I mean, basically the reaction is, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you're just being Russophobic. And some of the countries telling us, telling Estonia, which already then was, a, I mean, really the most advanced country in Europe. I mean, some of the countries telling, I mean, the people who are saying this to us uh, couldn't tell a laptop from a toaster oven. <laughs> so um, it wasn't too encouraging. It did finally work out for the for the best, actually, because, okay, first of all, some countries got it. Uh, the U.S. got it. Uh, the UK got it. They understood. They are, were at the time also, and probably still are, the most advanced cyber countries in the West. Mm -hmm. And uh, like one of the first things that happened was that was called by Condoleezza Rice, mm -hmm. uh, who then um, said, "Well, first of all, she just sort of called me up and said, well, what's, how, how's it going? What's going on? What do you? What's your evaluation?'" And they said, "Tomorrow, uh, President Bush is going to call you." And um, so the next day, in fact, uh, President Bush did call me and said, hi, Tom, we got to get you out here. <laughs> and so within a month, I was uh, visiting the, uh, President Bush in, uh, in uh, the White House. So that was, um, I mean, that was a true show mm -hmm. of support from, uh, from the allies, or at least from the United States. 
And of course, the ultimate thing that came out of this, which was, I mean, talk about your your own goal here. Um, we had been lobbying NATO for three years to to open a center of excellence for cyber. And NATO at the time had some 81 centers of excellence for various forms of conflict. I mean, my favorite is that in Kiel, Germany, there was, maybe there still is, a, uh, a center of excellence for uh, for operations in in closed and shallow waters. <laughs> the entire center to deal with, you know, how do you, what do you have, what do we have to know about uh, war fighting in closed and shallow waters? Mm. But there was nothing for cyber, and we were kind, of, we were going, come on, guys. I mean, cyber, this is the thing. This is coming. This is like a big right. thing. And they said, nah, 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 nah. But after the attacks. And I think the realization by some countries that the Estonians actually did know what we were talking about. Uh, they changed. They actually said, "Okay, we'll we'll establish a center of excellence for cybersecurity in in Estonia, and it's been operating since I guess 2009, well, something like that. But it's been around for a while now, and mm -hmm. it's a major and sort of." Intellectual center for research on cybersecurity. So that's that worked out well. But the the culmination of all of this was in um, uh, was on May 9th, of course. I mean, there was this this kind of this uh, I don't know what you call it anniversaryitis. Russia seems to be obsessed with. I mean, there's mm -hmm. always like certain dates. Um, are really important. Other dates have to be hushed up. I mean, sort of August 23rd, the, the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, that is uh, no, 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 no mention. Right. Once, I, I should say, I once saw a list of um, of days that, I mean, a, a list of six or seven dates that there's, it was sent to the foreign ministry about days, sensitive days. And obviously, the 23rd of August, the, the Malta-Ribbentrop Pact was one of them. Uh, but what is interesting is they actually had the uh, Port Arthur battle in there mm. from 1905 or 1904. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, guys, this is like we're talking right. about two regimes later, but you're right. all... <laughs> but anyway, so May 9th... Um, was the culmination that was really bad, and so the on May tenth, I went to our cert, which is our uh, our uh, uh, center of it's the rapid reaction mm -hmm. center for cyber activities. And every country, I mean, smaller country, every country has one cert, but big countries like uh, the United States have lots of certs. It's the um, it's the Cyber Emergency Response mm -hmm. Team, and that's what the CERT stands for. So I went to visit them and said, well, I mean, what what can we say? And then they showed me an, on an oscilloscope a record of how the attacks had proceeded. And so it starts off on May 8th, and it's like very low activity, very low activity. 
suddenly at zero 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 o'clock greenish mean time it just leaps up to a massive level of attacks and and then it continues for 24 hours to basically to 235959 59, or like a, a, you know, microsecond ultimately before midnight of, of 9 May 9th going into May 10. And now since I have kind of a science background I said why is that not a gaussian normal curve meaning it's sort of the bell curve right right it should follow bell curve that you know starts going up 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 and then it gets reaches the peak and then it slowly declines again which is how these things normally should work but this was this was a completely uh, discrete signal just a certain time leaps up and then stays mm -hmm. at a very high level and then just drops and i so i, I was perplexed i said well what uh why is that? Why is it a normal curve? And guy said laconically, oh, the money ran out. That's mm -hmm. all they paid for. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And that's, and this is, that's the basis of the uh, botnet. Uh, I mean, it's the evidence for the botnets being hired. Um, that uh, since there were these um, criminal groups, um, I mean, you doing botnets is illegal. Mm -hmm. Um, but in any case, they, um, this, this showed that it was, a you know, one of these typically Russian public private partnerships between mm -hmm. the, um, state between organized, organized crime and, and the state. I mean, they've taken PPP to a new dimension. Haven't they? <laughs> right. Now I saw this, um, I mean, I didn't see it at the time. I, I, I wish I had, but soon, soon enough. Uh, I saw this as kind of a, a dress rehearsal for future aggressions. I mean, we have all of these different elements in place here. I mean, you had the the mixture of cyber and, I mean, you could even say the, the busing of Russian citizens into Estonia because later research has shown uh, that those demonstrators in Tallinn, those rioters in Tallinn, some of them were local Estonian Russians, but a lot of them were members of NASHI that yeah. were bust into Estonia from the Russian Federation. Um, right. and you can even call that a, you know, that, that there's, that is somewhat kinetic, right? Um, yeah. it, it is kinetic. Uh, so you had a combination of the cyber and the kinetic. You had the disinformation campaign. The Russian disinformation was very active here. I mean, I remember the Russian propaganda at the time that the that the Estonians want to move this monument and move the remains of these Soviet soldiers out of the center of town because they're Nazis. Um, your your comment about the uh, your name with the two S's at the end of your uh, uh, of your surname in 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 front of the Estonian embassy in in Moscow. So they were playing they were playing that Nazi trope um, at the time. You saw a lot of the, these. Uh, it seems like a beta test for future yeah, future acts uh, of aggression. Basically, a year later, in August, uh, with the Georgian War, uh, they got a little more sophisticated, which is that they would do DDoS attacks mm -hmm. to black, block, black out or block out an area, and then they would commence uh, a bombing. So that you had this to really increase the, again, Clausewitzian fog of war. So you didn't know what was happening. You couldn't, mm -hmm. you couldn't 
I mean, you couldn't hear on the radio. You couldn't go to your website. You, I mean, you couldn't. It's, in fact, the small there's a journal, the Small Wars Journal, has uh, several two articles on this. Uh, so if you ever look up the Small Wars Journal, I think 2011 did a thorough analysis of the use of mm, hybrid um, attacks on Georgia, but where mm. both. I mean, really kinetic, meaning sort of <laughs> bombing and mm-hmm. um, and cyber. And of course, it's uh, ever since then, um, it's all continued um, and cyber has been used in all kinds of ways, especially against neighbors of Russia and um, not only DDoS attacks. Um, we saw this in Ukraine in 2014, but mm-hmm. it got really heavy in 2015 when they yep. took out um, when they took out uh, a rather large area's electrical grid uh, so uh, and even as i said even as we speak <laughs> right now right. they are attacking us and uh, they've also been um, i mean there've been articles saying that well you know we're surprised we don't see that much cyber I would mm-hmm. say there are two things. One is that the Ukrainians have gotten very good since um, since their grid was taken down in 2015. And so if, if you succeed in blocking what the Russians are doing, you don't hear about it, right? I mean, right. And they certainly, I mean, and since they're fighting a war, they're not, you know, <laughs> not like broadcasting this. It's just they take take things down. And the other thing, of course, about having gotten really good is that cyber in many ways is the great equalizer. I mean, even Estonia could probably take out in some very large country if we wanted to. Um, of course, we don't. Mm-hmm. But I think I think one reason why the why Russia right now has been has used cyber less than one might have expected is that they know that Ukrainians are also good. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this uh, sort of a cyber equivalent of mutually assured destruction. You're not going to really go after the Ukrainians because you know that, well, they can do it to you, too. Right. So. It's, yeah. yeah, it's it's similar to the early nuclear period um, when the, when the norms were not really solidified, but but self-interest and self-preservation kind of kicks in. Um, I want to in the second half, I do want to I want to say okay. one more case. That is very important and crucial, which is the NotPetya attack, right? Which was directed at Ukraine, but it was it was another own goal because I mean one of the problems with cyber malware is that it escapes and travels, and so it hit all kinds of companies and government offices. Most importantly, it hit Maersk. Right. Which I guess was as a result of their entire worldwide operations, except for one office, which was offline that day, by which they also managed to reboot the system. But I mean, one office was offline. And so, but all over the world, everything went down and was completely wiped out or destroyed. I don't know if wiped out is the right term. And three billion dollars worth of damage. I mean, so that's uh, that's pretty uh, a big, pretty big hit. Mm. Um, now, uh, if you uh, and on top of that, because of the 
vulnerabilities that both Maerskat and this uh, the the Ukrainian target had. There was the Russian Ministry of Interior also had it. So the malware that was sent to Ukraine moved on from there to all other kinds of places and both in the West and private companies, but it also <laughs> took down some Russian mm. Ministry of the Interior computers. Um, and these are these are all the kind of um, various problems that you run into when you start using cyber methods. Yeah, and this is what makes the 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 April two thousand seven attacks so interesting as, as as something to study and learn from because we we have learned so much since then, and this was kind of this it was uh, this, it was this kind of beta version of what we we're going to see in the future. The Russians have gotten better, but we've also gotten a lot better ourselves. And I want to I want to yeah. shift gears into the second half and talk about a lot of the lessons that were learned uh, from the Bronze Soldier riots and the cyber attacks of that time. In a few moments, we'll continue our discussion and look at those lessons learned from the Bronze Soldier riots and given everything that has happened since. I'd like to remind you, you are listening to the Power Vertical Podcast, which is produced by the University of Texas Arlington's McDowell Center for Global Studies in partnership with the Atlantic Council. My name is Brian Whitmore. I'm an assistant professor of practice at the UTA McDowell Center and a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center. And joining me from Munich is Thomas Hendrik Ilvis, who served as president of Estonia for two terms, from 2006 to 2016. He also served as Estonian foreign minister, ambassador to the United States, and as a member of the Estonian and European parliaments. These days, Thomas is a visiting professor at Tartu University and serves as a member of the Munich Security Conference's advisory board. I'd also like to remind you, you can subscribe to the Power Vertical Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. You can also access the podcast, read the Power Vertical blog, and access all Power Vertical products at powervertical.org. And you can follow us on the Twitter at Power Vertical. Кадры, которые мы получили только что, Владимир Путин по видеосвязи. Не слушал. Привет. Это Навальный. Я уже делаю свою работу. А сотрудники безопасности гоним вас с новым веком. One year after the Bronze Soldier riots in April 2008, NATO decided at its summit in Bucharest not to give a membership action plan to Georgia and Ukraine. Four months after that, in August 2008, Russia invaded Georgia and established protectorates in Abkhazia and South Ossetia. Less than seven years after the Bronze Soldier riots in early 2014, Russia annexed Ukraine's Crimean Peninsula and invaded the Donbass. And of course, this year, just shy of 15 years after the Bronze Soldier riots, Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Tom, I see a pattern here. How about you? Could we have stopped this dead in its tracks in 2007? And if so, how? Or was it just politically impossible at that time? No. Now, no? politically, it was not possible. I mean, also, for context, recall that in February of 2007, so two months before mm. the attack, we had uh, Vladimir Putin's famous West bashing speech, which then uh, uh, shocked people in the West. They didn't re didn't really shock anyone in, in Eastern <laughs> Europe. I remember I was actually sitting in the front row when he gave that. And, and um, you know, I was there with Viktor Yushchenko and we're kind of like shrugging our shoulders going like, well, OK, there he goes again. Whereas people in the West, oh, my God, what did he just say? 
Um, <clears throat> so politically, <clears throat> politically, the response has been um, rather measly. Really, it, it only it only it was it's only February 24th of this year that actually anyone started taking this seriously. I mean, recall that, you know, right after Georgia, you had the reset. Mm -hmm. You had uh, France uh, like five weeks after the the uh, the P brokered peace agreement by Sarkozy. Sarkozy himself said, "Okay, now well, let's go back to business as usual." Um, and again, the sanctions after uh, 2014 were fairly minor. Um, and it really did take February 24th of this year to get people thinking differently. Uh, as I mentioned, when we came, uh, when we went to talk about what had, what we were experiencing at NATO, the response is, "Oh, you're just being Russophobic." Uh, which has been kind of a traditional response. Uh, mm -hmm. The Eastern, I mean, the Central and Eastern Europeans have A, gotten it right, and B, been consistently ignored. Mm -hmm. so, um, you, you weren't alone in, I mean, as you mentioned, the US and the UK was with you. I, I imagine Latvia and Lithuania, if I remember correctly, were with you. The Poles yeah. were probably with you. The Romanians were probably with you. You yeah. probably yeah. did have a couple of factions in NATO that 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 that, that differed on how to respond to this. No. Well, um, but the big ones didn't. Well, I mean, Germany, France, they right. were like not really keen on this thing. So, um, I mean, really, uh, there's been some kind of realization only in the past two, three months about what's right. going on. Um, now, the other side of this is, aside from the political realization, is that people did not have a clue about digital stuff. I mean, it, what we did, mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons we were attacked was because that was our sort of, our, uh, our reputation, our renommé. And so I think part of it was designed to like try to take that down, which did not happen. But the problem is that uh, I mean, you know, there are many countries uh, to this day that are babes in the woods when it comes to digital and cyber issues. Um, I mean, I'm right now in Munich, and despite the industrial powerhouse that Germany is, it's really actually quite primitive and backward when it comes to digital matters for a number of reasons. Um, so, but back then, no one had a clue, frankly, in, uh, in most of Europe. In 2011, at the Munich Security Conference, so this was uh, four years after the cyber attack, um, I had been trying to convince the Munich Security Conference to do a panel as a on cyber issues, and it only the first one was only in 2011. Mm. And uh, Joseph Nye wrote an op-ed then right afterwards in the Herald Tribune. He said, "Well, the president of a small European country stood up and said, this is the first panel at the Munich Security Conference on any cyber issues, but I assure you it won't be the last. <laughs> Which is true, since here I am again. I mean, right. 
Which is ironic because now everybody and their brother is trying to pass themselves off as, a, as, a, as an expert on, on, on cyber um, these days. But beyond the issue of cyber, the, uh, to the issue of kind of a larger Russian uh, revanchist and imperialist designs towards its neighbors, um, did, 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 did you see any movement as a result of the 2007 attacks on Estonia at all in, in, in NATO? I mean, the main thing was the, uh, the decision to actually take Estonia seriously and set up mm. a center of excellence for cyber mm. issues, uh, which to which there had been a fair bit of objection. But you know, it, it took. Uh, I mean, it took 2008 to get us uh, air policing in one Baltic country, right? Followed by 2011 or so to get. Um, contingency planning for the Baltic countries. Uh, I mean, every NATO country had contingency planning. And what do you do? Where do you send troops in case there's an armed attack? And they did not want to give it to us. Uh, finally, 2011, I guess, 2011, 2012, we got contingency planning. But that was a big battle because, again, a number of some very large NATO countries in Europe were against it because it might provoke Russia. And then uh, it really was only in 2014, after the annexation of Crimea, that our completely sort of brand new NATO air base that we had built, mm -hmm. but did not have any use other than for anything, was actually made then the second NATO air policing base uh, in Amari, Estonia. So, I mean, it's basically what you see is bad behavior on the Russian sort of screaming up and down on the part of newer members of NATO saying, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And then a grudging acceptance of, well, we better do something. Mm -hmm. And of course, enhanced forward presence, which was put in in 2015 at the summit right. in Warsaw. Um, before we wrap up, Tom, I got uh, the, the, the thing that keeps coming to my mind as I think of all of this and of having followed it since 2007 and followed developments uh, is that you must feel kind of vindicated now because it seems now the rest of the world, uh, or at least the rest of NATO, has come around to where you were 15 years ago today. Uh, I mean, do you feel vindicated today? I, uh, I've seen a couple of tweets to that effect uh, on your feed. Well, I've intimated we told you so. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it would be nice to hear from somebody that, you know, actually, those East Europeans were right. And the kind of haughty, dismissive uh, attitude, often patronizing attitude. This is a whole topic for another session. But yeah, I mean, th this idea that we who have no experience know better than you who do have experience has been a consistent line since basically the 1990. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I mean, you can find all kinds of cases. I mean, right now, everyone's shocked about the gas cutoff. Well, you know, in 1991, 92, the Baltic states were yep. cut off from gas. And yes. there was no real response from that. I mean, this is uh, so, you know, with some kind of uh, recognition that maybe we should have listened to the people who know what they're talking about would be nice. 
Yeah, I'm beginning to see some recognition. I've I, I, myself and others have been screaming about this for a while. Pay close attention to what Russia does to its neighbors because it's a harbinger of what they're going to do to us later, and that we should we should be listening to those that are that that, that share a border with Russia. Um, and if we had been listening to y'all back 15 years ago, we probably would be in a much better space today. Um, anything uh, anything before we wrap up that you wanted to you wanted to say, Tom? Well, uh, you know, cyber is not going away anywhere. No. And I would, uh, I would urge all NATO members, but especially the ones who are lagging, to really start paying attention to the threats and the dangers. Uh, it is 15 years from this kind of, what well, I might say, that the first time that we moved, we saw the first case of cyber war in the classic Clausewitz definition. And um, pay attention, folks, would be my message. Well, those from your lips to God's ears. I, I, and I hope folks are paying attention now, given, given where we are at this point. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. I could go on for hours, but I got a class to teach. Um, I'd like to remind you, you have been listening to the Power Vertical Podcast, which is produced by the University of Texas Arlington's McDowell Center for Global Studies in partnership with the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center. I'm your host. My name is Brian Whitmore. I'm an assistant professor of practice at UTA and a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. Joining me from Munich has been Thomas Hendrik Ilvis, who served as president of Estonia for two terms from 2006 to 2016. He's also served as Estonian Foreign Minister, Ambassador to the United States, and is a member of the Estonian and European Parliaments. These days, Thomas is a visiting professor at Tartu University and serves as a member of the Munich Security Conference's Advisory Board. Thomas, thank you for an enlightening discussion. It is a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, as always, to have you. It's always great to be on Power Vertical. Always great to have you. I'd also like to thank our awesome production team in, in Arlington, Texas. Lance Legas is in the virtual control room. He keeps all the lights on and all the complicated machines well-oiled and in working order throughout our discussion. And Zachary Smith handles our all-important post-production duties, cleaning up my many, many messes and making us all sound a lot better than we do in real life. I'd also like to remind you, you can subscribe to the Power Vertical Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. And if you do, please leave us a big fat five-star rating and review because that helps our visibility. You can also access the podcast, read the Power Vertical blog, and access all Power Vertical products at powervertical.org. And you can follow us on the Twitter at Power Vertical. Join us again next week. And until then, I leave you with the ambient sound mix that's been prepared by our production team. 